So as we start this new series, uh, NDC Turns 10, looking back over the last 10 years, I want to start today by going back a little bit further than 10 years. Go back about 11 and a half years to the place where New Denver began just as a simple idea. At the time, uh, Norton and I were working on staff uh, with our friend Jason Malik uh, at a church in Atlanta, Georgia called North Point Community Church. Now, if you're somebody who goes to church or you've been around church for a while, there's a chance you may have heard of North Point or their pastor, Andy Stanley. Uh, in the church world, they're kind of a big deal. Uh, it's, a, it's a really humongous church and um, lots of people. And Andy's, he has a show on television. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, that's okay. Uh, church famous is not the same thing as real famous. It's okay. Uh, you've probably never heard of most of the biggest churches in America. I looked through the list. I hadn't heard of most of them. This is my job. So it's all right. But North Point, just to give you some context of just how different our life was and how different it was uh, for us working on staff at this church uh, th- than it is here at New Denver, uh, I, w- I have a picture. I want to show you a picture. Uh, this, is, uh, the, this is a Sunday at North Point. So this is the main auditorium at the main campus. Uh, When we were on staff there, they had three campuses. They're up to seven now. There's actually another auditorium on the other side of this. It's the same size. They pipe video over to it. Uh, With all seven of their campuses, about 40,000 people attend church through North Point every weekend. Just, again, a little bit of context of how different things are in the South. Everything's bigger. Churches are way bigger. If you took the four biggest churches in Denver... If you took Flatirons Community Church, Red Rocks Community Church, Cherry Hills Community Church, and Mission Hills Community Church, you combined all of their campuses and all of their services together, they're not as big as North Point. So huge, so huge, tremendous, big church. So I'm just trying to paint a picture for you of just how different things were. And, and in a lot of ways, it was really exciting. North Point was a fun place to be. Uh, my wife and I were involved there from the beginning. She was part of actually the, the group that came together when Andy founded the, tr- the church. Uh, I, I started ministry there. I actually transitioned out of the business world and started working on a church staff for the first time there. And, and there was so much growth that was happening at the time when Norton and Jason and I were, were all on staff there together. It was a really fun place to be, which may lead you to wonder, why'd you leave? So why did you leave? If it was such a great place and such amazing things were going on, well, that's actually where the seed of New Denver starts. And it starts with the seeds of some discontentment and some restlessness that I think grew up inside all of us, even in the midst of this amazing place. Because despite how great North Point was and it was growing and we were experiencing all these fun things and and getting to be a part of leadership there, there was some discontentment. There was personal restlessness that we were experiencing. We, we all had kind of gotten sick of Atlanta traffic. If you've been to Atlanta, you know it's not a great place to, to live in terms of quality of life. Uh, we were tired of the Bible Belt. We all grew up in the South, so we were kind of tired of that cultural Christian veneer that sort of covers over everything. And so personally, we had this draw. Norton had connections out here. My wife and I had connections out here. Jason was looking to get out of the South. We all personally were looking to move somewhere different. So there was personal restlessness. There was also professional restlessness, if we were really honest. If you've worked for a big organization, it's not that much different than working for a big church. When you're in a big organization, you end up becoming a very small cog in a very big machine. And all of us felt like we had leadership gifts and and talents and and skills that we just weren't getting to fully utilize. And we had a sense of an entrepreneurial desire to want to start something new. So we were professionally restless as well. 
And then lastly, I would say there was a restlessness I would only describe as a spiritual restlessness. That in the midst of of this great environment, we became aware that things were changing in America. The landscape of American religious life in 2008, as we look back, we were beginning to see the shifts and the changes that the largest largest population of, of, of of religious affiliation in America, began, it began to be obvious that it was people who had no affiliation with church or religion whatsoever, that, that there was this growing disconnection from church and from religious life. Though people continued to profess a faith in God, they didn't want, anything to ha- they didn't want to have anything to do with the church. And so spiritually, we felt this sort of drive and desire to be in a place where that was more of a reality. In Atlanta, Georgia, that was as not, not as much really the reality. But in places like the Northeast and the Northwest, places like Denver, Colorado, people just don't care that much about church. And we felt the drive and the desire to want to be a, a part of that. And so it was Jason who was the first one who said, hey, we've all three talked about this independently, about the possibility of wanting to be a part of starting a church somewhere outside the Bible Belt, somewhere where, where people are increasingly disengaged, disengaging with faith, disengaging with church. What would it look like if we did one thing together instead of three things separately? And there, early in 2008, is where the idea of starting a church in Denver, Colorado, really began. So we started talking, we got together with our wives, and really quickly we landed on the same page, and we decided we were ready to commit to move forward with pursuing the stream. And I have a picture of the three of us sitting in my office at North Point, um, I apologize for the quality of the picture, but to put this in context, this was 2008. This was taken with my first iPhone, which was the second generation iPhone that had ever come out. So the quality wasn't quite as good. Quality's come a long way uh, in that time. So we were sitting there together. That's not Peyton Manning. That's actually me. Um, <laughs> despite the resemblance, that's why I grew the beard so people would stop confusing me with Peyton Manning. So a little bit more context for this picture. We're sitting there, and the, the, what we're doing, the letters there, those are letters that we're sending out to friends and family, asking them to support us in starting this new church. We made the decision that we weren't going to go with a denomination or a larger national group. We weren't getting any funding or financing from anyone else. We were actually mailing these things out to friends and family, asking if they would invest in this idea of starting a church in Denver, Colorado, for people who didn't really want to go to church. Now, just a little bit more context here. At the time this picture was taken, about two weeks before, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had just declared bankruptcy. And about two weeks after this picture was taken, Lehman Brothers would file for bankruptcy, the largest bankruptcy in U.S. history. The real estate market in America would begin slowly falling apart as we were putting our houses on the market to sell and try to move across the country. And a lot of the people that we sent those letters out to asking for money would be losing their jobs in the coming months. We decided to start a church in the middle of the Great Recession. So just to recap that, so we were moving our family, leaving friends and family and people that we'd known, leaving the biggest church in America, stable jobs, trying to sell our houses in the middle of the housing crisis, self-fundraising a church in the middle of the Great Recession. It clearly was not good planning that this church was built on. And if you want to question mine and Norton's intelligence at this point, it would be just fine. We've questioned, we've questioned our own many, many times. But here's the thing. God was so faithful over the years. We just kept taking steps, and God met us every step along the way. 
And we moved across the country, took, brought our families, brought those, all five of those little kids, and Jason and his family moved with us. And we began moving towards starting this church. Now, early on, one of the key decisions, people ask me all the time, you know, when I tell them we moved to Denver, especially early on when people would ask, why did you move to Denver? And I said, well, we moved here to be part of starting a church. People would look at me and like, how do you do that? Like, how do you start a church? Especially my Catholic friends, like that just totally blows their minds. Like, didn't the Pope decide who does that? Or how do you just decide to start a church? And the reality is when we made the decision that we were going to be an independent church, a non-denominational church, part of the reason we did that was because it opened up a lot of freedom. We weren't bound to all the red tape and the bureaucracy that, that a lot of denominations bring with them. See, if you're, if you're Baptist or if you're Lutheran or if you're Presbyterian or Catholic, you don't have to make a lot of decisions. There's a lot of decisions that have been made for you about what, kind of, what your church is going to be like. But when you choose to be independent... You got to make all those choices, which is a lot. It's a great thing. There's a lot of freedom. The downside is there's a lot of freedom. We had to, we had to fight almost literally through a lot of these decisions. How, how will we form and structure ourselves? Will we, you know, elders and staff and leadership and how are we going to do all these things? And, and doctrinally, like what are we going to be about? And early on, we made some pretty key decisions. But the one I want to talk to you about today is one that every church has to face, whether they know they face it or not. And it's a, it's a question and a tension that has existed since the early church, since the beginnings of the church. And it's a question we had to face early on. And it's a, a question and a tension that still shapes and affects what we do every single week here at New Denver Church. To see what that tension is and to talk a little bit about that question, I want to jump right into the scriptures and take a look at what the tension looked like in the early church and then how we thought about these tensions, how we thought about these questions, and how we made some decisions about those things going forward. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can pull them out. We're going to start in the book of Acts chapter 15. The book of Acts chapter 15. If you're using the Black Bibles uh, at your seat, we're going to be uh, on page 770. I did the head fake on you again. We're not, almost. We'll get there in just a second. So first of all, before we jump into the actual verses, I wanted to give you a little bit of background. The book of Acts is actually part of a two-volume set. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's two parts to the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The very beginning of the New Testament, there's two books that are actually a two-volume set written by the same author, a man named Luke, who was a doctor in the, in the first century. He was commissioned to write a, a two-volume history, one on the life of Jesus, which is what we know as the book of Luke, uh, one of the Gospels, one of the four accounts or biographies of Jesus' life. And then the, the book called The Acts of the Apostles, or simply Acts for short. Uh, and it's a history of the early church. It's, it's a history of God's work through the Holy Spirit after Jesus, after his death and his resurrection and his ascension. It's what happened with his followers and what they chose to do in the beginnings of the early church. So this book, Acts, it, it contains a lot of information, a lot of history about the decisions and the choices and the circumstances that were affecting Jesus' early followers as the church began to form. And very early on, one of the big tensions that surfaced was this question of who the church was for, who was invited, and what, what did it take to be included? What did it take to become an insider, to be a part of the church? What did you have to do? 
And there was a lot of tension around this because you may remember that, that, the, that the Christian church actually started out of the Jewish faith. Jesus, Jesus was Jewish. Most of his first followers were Jewish. And so they brought with them a lot of Jewish traditions and a lot of Jewish practices into their faith in Jesus. So they brought Jesus to the center of this faith and it gave meaning and purpose and it reoriented them towards all the things that they'd learned their whole life growing up. But all of their traditions, they tried to hold on to. The challenge was, there were a lot of non-Jewish people who heard about Jesus and who were interested and started coming to their gatherings. And it created tension about, wait a minute, do they just get to come in and be a part of this or not? So picking up, we're right in the middle of this question as we pick up, starting in verse 1 of chapter 15 of Acts, we read this. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some, of, uh, some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So so here we have the early churches forming, and they're practicing these things that were uniquely Jewish, including circumcision, which was a, a, a rite that young Jewish men went through. It was the sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. It was a normal part of every Jewish person's life, and it was a sign that they were part of this community of faith. Well, now they have non-Jewish people, Gentiles who are coming in, and they haven't been circumcised. So the Jews are saying, wait a minute, for them to be part of our community of faith, we can't let go of these traditions. We can't let go of these things. So if they're going to come in, part of the requirement is painful male surgery on adults for them to be part of the church. So as you can imagine, that created a little bit of a controversy. And this man, Paul, Paul was one of the leaders of the early church, and he was an advocate for all the non-Jewish people that they were to be included and accepted as a part of the community of faith. So Paul resists this. Paul and his partner Barnabas resist this, and they decide to take their case all the way to the, to the church council, the ruling council, which was in Jerusalem, and it was made up of all of Jesus' first followers, the, the, the men who had been his followers and the women who had been around him and known him best. All of these leaders made up this church council, and it was led by a man named James, who was Jesus' half-brother. And so they go and they make their case, and here is what James and the council have to say. James says in uh, verse 19, if we skip down to verse 19, chapter 15 of Acts, James says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. We should not make it difficult, he says. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Yes, I would say requiring painful male surgery is making it difficult for people to come to church. Regardless of what your experience is with churches or how, how off-putting they may have been, they've never asked you to have painful surgery to be part of it. And so James and the council essentially say, that's too much. Now, there are some other things we'd like to ask them to do to be a part of the community, these, these other things that, that he adds. But we're not going to make circumcision a part of this because we don't want to make it difficult for people who are coming 
to God. And here's where the story of the first church intersects with our story. It collides with us. Many of us here today, looking back, can remember a time where we or someone we know or someone we love had an experience with a church where they felt left out, where they felt excluded, where they felt like they didn't belong because they were an outsider, because they didn't know the tradition. They didn't know what what was going on. They didn't know what to do. The music was bad. It was old, and they used words like thee and thou, and couldn't understand what they were talking about. They kept standing up and kneeling down and standing up and kneeling down, and they would say things at different times, and everybody else seemed to know what was going on but you. And maybe they, they practiced things or said things that just didn't make any sense, and you didn't know what was going on, and you felt left out. That's because a lot of churches still elevate tradition over including people who are outside and who haven't practiced that faith their whole life. And as it relates to New Denver, Norton and Jason and I, we all had experiences like this growing up. Norton Norton and I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, which elevates its own tradition, uh, sometimes over other people being welcomed who are from the outside. Jason grew up Catholic. Those of you who grew up Catholic know that sometimes the great tradition and the history of the Catholic Church can get in the way and people don't even know what they're doing or why they're doing. And for, for this reason, this is why part of the reason that I walked away from the church when I was old enough to be able to do so was because I felt like church really wasn't for me. I didn't really understand a lot of what was going on. I felt like I wasn't included. I felt like it was something that was very exclusive and only for a club of people. So when I was old enough to make the decision, when I finished high school and went to college, I just stopped going to church because it seemed completely boring and irrelevant. And I spent about 10 years of my life not going to church, not being part of a community of faith, And if I'm honest, not really following Jesus. Now, I would have told you I was a Christian because I was from the South and everybody was a Christian. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Yeah, for sure, I'm a Christian. But I really wasn't part of a church or following Jesus in any sort of real way. And it wasn't until my 20s when somebody invited me to this little startup church called North Point Community Church that things began to shift and change for me because North Point embraced this idea that first and foremost, church should be for people who are from the outside. It should be for people who don't understand what church is about. Or maybe they they don't have a problem with God, they don't have a problem with Jesus, but they've been hurt by the church and they welcome people in. And they do a fantastic job with it. It really works well, at least it worked for me. Because I was welcomed in, I began to suddenly learn and understand about the Bible. These stories that I'd heard growing up began to make sense, and I began to to find my way back to a real, lived kind of faith. The vision of North Point is to create churches that unchurched people want to attend. And our stories are very different, Norton and Jason's and mine, but I think that's part of what drew us back, is we we had this sense that, that church should be for people who are from the outside, that everyone is welcome, everyone is included, regardless of where you're from, regardless of what your ethnicity is or your background or your socioeconomic level or or whether or not you've, you've grown up in church or not, that the church should be the most welcoming place on the planet. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there for the early church and the story doesn't end there for us. Because You see, long-held traditions 
can create the tension that people from the outside feel left out. And they can feel marginalized and they can feel like they're not included. Like the barriers of being a part of a church are too great to get over to be able to pursue God. But the problem is when the pendulum swings and you make everything about entertaining people who are outside the church and you simply let go of traditions and things that the church have, has held onto and have been meaningful for people for generations and generations and generations, something important gets lost. Ten years after Paul goes to the Jewish to the to Jerusalem Council and advocates for the outsiders, the Gentiles who are being mistreated and, and who the church is putting up barriers to coming in, he writes a letter. He writes a letter to a church in Rome, to a group of churches in Rome, with a very different tone. In those ten years, the church had spread. And as it spread to more non-Jewish areas, it spread throughout the Roman world. And as churches began to grow with people who weren't just Jewish people, they hadn't grown up going to synagogue. They, they didn't have all those traditions. The church be began in many places to become more majority Gentile. And guess what? When the pendulum swung and it became all about people who were outside the Jewish faith, guess who got marginalized and excluded? The Jews. They got left out, and their traditions got marginalized, and they were beginning to be almost persecuted within the church because they were still holding on to these traditions that were important to them. And so Paul writes this letter, and he compares the church, the family of God, to a tree, an olive tree that grows up, and each one of us are branches on that tree. Listen to what he says. You don't have to, we'll put these verses on the screen, the screen but in Romans chapter 11, verse 17, he writes this. He says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Now, here Paul is referring to the fact that many of the natural branches, many of the people who were born Jews, born into the Jewish faith, had rejected faith in Jesus. They had chosen to be broken off from the family of God. Because for Paul, the, at the center of the root that provided nourishment was Jesus himself because he saw Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, as God incarnate. And being connected to that family meant being connected to that root. And so he said, yes, some of those natural branches have been broken off because of unbelief, but guess what? Don't get, don't get so arrogant that you think just because you were grafted in and you just showed up that you're somehow better. As my grandma would say, don't get too big for your britches. Don't think you're better than you are. Just guess what? The faith didn't start when you showed up and started coming to church. No, guess what? There's a long lineage and tradition, and God's people go all the way back to the people of Israel. And these traditions that you look down on, they're actually really important to some people. So, so even if they're not important to you, even if they're not a practice, part of the practice of your faith, it doesn't mean that they're bad or they're wrong. Look, he continues. 
If we skip down to chapter 14, verse 5, listen to what he, how he talks to them about the, these differences within the church. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another, referring to the Jewish festivals and holy days. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. So referring to special practices of dietary restrictions that the Jews, some of them were still, still doing. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? So Paul looks at the church 10 years after he has contended to not make it difficult for these Gentiles to come in. He looks at the Gentiles and says, the pendulum has swung too far. You're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Just because these aren't your traditions or you didn't grow up with them doesn't mean that they're not valuable. It doesn't mean that they're not important. And yeah, you don't have to regard them as special, but that doesn't mean you have to look down on your brother or to condemn what is old simply because it's old. And that can sometimes be the trap that we fall into, is that we, we try to resolve that tension between welcoming people who are outside the faith but are seeking God and holding on to traditions and catering to people who are inside the faith. This tension between serving people who are outside, outsiders, and serving people who are inside the church, insiders, is a tension that if we try to resolve by swinging too far one direction or another, we lose something really important. So we never want to let go of what the Jerusalem council said. We do not want to make it difficult for the people who are seeking God. None of our practices, none of the things that we do as a church should ever be a barrier or a hindrance for people. This is why we put a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of energy into creating Sunday services that engage people, both their minds and their hearts. It's why Brian works so hard at playing great music that, that's appealing to listen to and full of messages that are meaningful and connected to what we're talking about. It's why Norton and I try to create, try to create thought-provoking messages, even bringing in uh, other sources, other than just, you know, just talking about the Bible all the time. We bring in lots of sources of information trying to help make it accessible, make the message of God accessible to people regardless of where you are. It's why, it's why we put so much effort into training our D group leaders to say, you know what? Everybody's gonna be in a different place that's in your discipleship group. And we need to make, make space for that and make sure that everyone is welcome and everyone is included in the conversation and everyone is encouraged to participate and given the opportunity to grow. It's why we spend so much time trying to create great kids' environments. Because if you show up and you're not a church person, you're new to church or you're visiting or you're just trying it out, and we don't respect your kids, if we don't convey to you that we're gonna do the best possible job we can to make sure that they're cared for, that they're engaged and kept safe, I mean, God, the church has failed in this way so many times. That's why we put so much time and so much effort into thinking. Because we want people who are outside the faith to know that when they come, they can know this is a place that's for them. And at the same time, 
There is so much history and so much tradition and so many rich things that we can learn from and draw from. I think this is the area where we've probably grown and moved the most. As we left North Point, we really had that, a strong hold on that desire to create a place for outsiders. But as we've grown, we've drawn in more and more traditions that come from the historic church. This is why we observe seasons in the church calendar. It's why we observe Advent and not just Christmas. It's why we observe Lent and not just Easter. I mean, funny story, my first Ash Wednesday service, I was leading it. I'd never been to one before. I mean, I, had, I was reading and studying, trying to figure out, I didn't even know how to do it because I'd never been to one before. But we felt like this was an important part of the history and the tradition of the church that we wanted to bring in. And so that's one way that we've tried to do that. We also have tried to bring in prayers. We said the the Apostles' Creed this morning. That uh, tradition tells us that that was the first statement of beliefs put together by the apostles. We're reading that and saying that we believe those things. And so we find ourselves in a long line of people who've said those things before us. And in churches around the world, people said those words this morning. And so regardless of where you are today, We say this every week, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're here today and you're still trying to figure it out, what you believe about God, what you think about Jesus, you're so welcome here. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're a part of this church. This church is for you. Or whether you've been walking this road for a while and you're a committed follower of Jesus and this church is is just one of many churches you've been a part of, we're glad you're here too. We need one another. We need the tension of what it looks like for people who are inside and people who are outside to come together in one place. And so if you're here today and you're somebody who you think of yourself as an outsider and you feel like, like you don't belong, you totally belong. We're so glad that you're here. We need you to be our eyes. Let us know if there are things that you see or that you experience that make you feel lost or confused. We try to do the best that we can to explain, but sometimes we miss things. And so if you ever feel lost or you feel excluded or not a part of the club, we so want you to be a part of that. And if you're here today and if you've been a part of this church for a while, we're so glad you're here. We desperately need you to continue to be a part of what God's doing in this church. And I'm sorry if you get bored hearing us explain what communion is. If you get bored hearing me tell what the book of Acts is all about because you've heard that a thousand times, that's fine. I would rather bore you a little bit than risk leaving out someone who doesn't know those things. And so we desperately need you to hold on to that tension of sometimes we're going to say and do things that aren't necessarily for you and to embrace that together we are better, that we need the questions and the challenges and the doubts of people who are outside the faith. And we need that rootedness, the tradition. We need the practices and the, the, the long momentum that comes from a life lived following God over a long period of time. And my hope as we look forward as a church is that this is something we never let go of, that we never seek to resolve this tension but that we hold it. And that for my kids and your kids, that they would know a different place, a place where questions are welcomed, whether you're an outsider and never been to church before, or whether you're somebody who's been in church for a long time, that wherever you are on your spiritual journey in this place, you're welcome. And we help you to take steps of growth in your journey. Let's pray together that God would help us to know how to do that individually, personally, and corporately together. Let's pray. God, thank you for the the rich history and the tradition um, that we are a part of, going back all the way to the apostles and to the first followers of Jesus. Thank you for 
the ways that they faithfully um, recorded their experiences so we could look back and identify with the tensions that we still experience that they wrestled with even today. And God, as we um, look back on the last 10 years and we recognize we've tried to hold this tension between welcoming people outside the faith, uh, inviting people in and encouraging to, to get to know who you are, um, while trying to hold on to the traditions and trying to, to be a place that still finds ourselves in the long line and tradition of the Christian church. God, help us to continue to hold that tension. May we, may we do it well, as well as we can. And when we step too far on one side or the other, God, um, I pray for the members of our community to be courageous and to always be willing to give a correction and to help us to stay in that place where we hold on to both of those things that many, many people, whether they're new to faith or whether they've been in the faith for a long time, could be a part of this community and continue to grow together. We pray these things through the Son.